What an incredible reminder. And not just a reminder, but a testimony. I'm thankful in a cold building on a cold winter morning that we can sing a warm song like that. What an incredible truth. Let's pray in the name of the one who suffered for us. Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus the Son. We celebrate what he's done on our behalf, and we claim it now. How dare we come into your presence apart from the cleansing, sanctifying work of Jesus provided for us through faith. God, we, we know by your grace, we know that we are sinful and unable to come into your presence. But Jesus and his great grace provides a way for us. God, we come to you now, and we've done this many, many times, and perhaps there this morning with us as somebody for the first time, considering the work of Jesus, completed long ago, and beginning today to pray to you in his name. God, would that be true? Would somebody today hear of this great, great work and trust in this great, great name? Father, we thank you. Just revive our hearts for today, but that you would prepare us for the week ahead. Father, we look at the work of Jesus completed, and we say this, our older brother, he lived a life of service. He suffered in that serving, and yet that suffering was temporary, and his joy now forevermore eternal. God, we pray that you'd strengthen us this week. We who claim the name of Jesus, strengthen us for service this week. And Father, not just for serving, but would you strengthen us for the suffering that accompanies that serving, for the pain, for the misunderstanding, for the reproach, for the shame. But Father, help us to endure these things because they're temporary and because the joy that your son has promised us is, in fact, eternal. God, we claim that we look unto Jesus, our hope of eternal life and joy. And we pray that this morning, our dear brother and sister, Tim and Jill, and their son, Chance, Father, that they would rest in that joy a little bit more deeply today. Regardless of where they are or what they're doing at this moment, we imagine that they are in this beautiful, beautiful strength that you provide, not just to believe, but to serve and to continue walking towards that eternal joy that's promised in Christ. Father, this is our only hope. This is our prayer this morning, and we ask it of you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, again, if that's your hope, if that's your prayer this morning, as you have a seat, would you say amen as well? Only a few, only a few. I see that hand. As uh, you're being seated, I want to go ahead and dismiss Hubtown Kids. Hubtown Kids are, are blue and gray station. Blue is ages three to five, exiting out this way. Gray station, age six up to fifth grade, they're going to be exiting out this way. The blue station, they're going to be learning this truth about God. It's already been uh, conveyed in our announcement section that God is just. I love what our brother Brad encouraged you to do, to ask these little kids about it. You surely should do that on a regular basis. 
I think you might be blown away. But in addition to that, the Grace Station, they're going to be learning uh, that uh, God shows no partiality. He judges with equity and truth, and his judgments are without error. So uh, as we've finished our prayer, now you begin to pray for these teachers as they go with this horde of children. Also pray that we'll stay warm this morning. Many of you know what's taking place here. Uh, some of you are, I, I imagine, are nasty letter, uh, but I can assure you our brother Chuck is doing everything that he can to get the heat back on in this uh, facility. I'm glad that we have it at this temperature, uh, which is somewhere around 61, with a little more hot air coming from this area towards you. Maybe, maybe it'll raise. We are continuing our extended look at the book of Hebrews. So I want to invite you to grab a copy of God's Word. If, if you didn't bring a copy, you can just grab that black hardback Bible that's right in front of you. That's what I do. Uh, every Sunday, I just grab the, one of those books out of the row that I'm in, and uh, I carry it up here with me and preach out of that. And if you're grabbing that hard black Bible, you can turn to page 1,197. 1,197. That's Hebrews chapter 13. Now you'll see the big one, three, that's the 13, and then you come down a little bit and you'll see a seven on that uh, toward the middle of the page, and that's where we're going to begin reading. And some of you that are very astute, uh, you're here today to say, Pastor Josh, we looked at chapter 13, verse number seven last week, and you're exactly right. And this is the second part of this installment of uh, Hebrews, or this extended look at verses 7 to 19. And if you're really paying attention, you'll notice next week we're going to do it again. So uh, we're going to take three looks at leaders uh, here from chapter 13. Three looks at leaders from chapter 13. And so of a leader himself, right? Why should we be listening to these leaders? Why should you listen to Pastor Josh? Why should you listen to Pastor Brett or Pastor Chris or, or any of the other leaders that you've had in your life as a Christian? Well, we sort of addressed that last week, and we may bump into that a little bit today and even next week. But today, mainly what our focus is going to be is on the example that our leaders today are called to follow. What is the example that the leaders that we have today are called to follow? Here we see in the center of these verses 7 to 19, we, we see the work of Jesus is at the very center of that paragraph. He's at the very center. It's a look, a comparison even, helping us to see what Jesus has accomplished and what it's like in the old covenant, but more importantly, what it accomplishes in the new covenant. Now, that look at Jesus is sort of sandwiched, if you think of it that way. Some of you, uh, I've lost you. You've, you've thought about heat now, and now you've thought about food. But it, th this, this truth about Jesus is sandwiched with uh, specific instructions on how we are to relate to our leaders. And so we'll spend most of our time this morning looking at what Jesus has done, what he has done, why he has done and then we will make an application from that, which is clearly made in verse 7, all the way up to Jesus. We are to consider our leaders, and finally, we are to imitate our leaders, and among those chief is Jesus himself. And so without any further ado, let's, let's just look, let's put our eyes on the text of Scripture that we receive from God this morning. Hebrews 13, verses 7 to 19. It says, Remember your leaders... Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, they're burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things, and I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, again, we just pause, and we ask you to use this passage of Scripture to help us to fall in love even more with Jesus. Father, some of our hearts have even grown cold towards him, not in anger, but maybe. Maybe just we've been distracted. We've forgotten what he's accomplished for us. Would your word this morning, empowered and delivered by your Holy Spirit in our hearts, would it help us to love him more clearly and more deeply and see him more clearly today? Father, would you help the Lord leaders in our church? Father, we believe that this, your people, we are built and established and sustained through your word. And so we pray that it would work in our hearts and minds today. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. I'll give you the structure of our sermon this morning, of our time together. And I think that might help to serve, uh, just for you to see how much longer you have to endure the, uh, the cold here. We'll begin by looking at two reflections on the life of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, more specifically. And we'll move from those two reflections to a main idea, and I'll offer that for you here in just a moment. And then we're going to look at five models of that main idea. I'll submit that main idea to you, and it's actually a refrain. It's It's a short song that I sort of composed this week after studying this text, and it's very brief, but I'm going to show you five models in the book of Hebrews that really interact with that short refrain, and then we'll end our time with some application ideas. And so two reflections, a main idea, five looks or models of that main idea, and then some time and application. So let's begin with two reflections. First, we're going to be reflecting on the way of the cross. The way of the cross. In other words, you really could be saying the uh, components of the cross. Well, we see in verse 12, it says, so Jesus also. And that little phrase, so Jesus also, it's, it's both transitional and it's comparative. 
And so it's coming and saying, hey, the, the way that Jesus died on the cross is similar to something else, and that something else is in verse 11 right before it. What does it say? Well, the way that Jesus died is, and, and, and suffered, the way of the cross, is similar to uh, what we see in verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places there in the center of the people of God and to the encampment of God, the, the holy place, and if that blood is offered by the high priest as a sacrifice for sins, it says the bodies are burned outside of the camp. Now, under the Old Testament, the, the blood sacrifices that were made on the Day of Atonement or of Yom Kippur, the, the, that blood is brought into the holy place, and it's poured there on the altar. It's an offering, a cleansing offering to God. But the carcass of that animal on the Day of Atonement is, is taken outside, and there it's burned outside of the camp. It's burned in an area that's said to be unholy, it's said to be a place where it's full of shame and reproach. And even if you go there carrying, not exactly the same, Jesus suffers outside of the gate. Look at verse 12. Jesus suffered outside the gate. What does it mean to suffer outside the gate? Well, again, it's an unclean place. It's a place that's not fit for the, the cleanest, for the brightest, for the shameless, for the holy, and yet this is where Jesus goes. It's away from the religious center of the city. It's away from the business and economic center of the city. It's outside of the gate. It's a place of shame. It says in order, he did this in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Now, before we talk about the application part of verse 13, notice it says of Jesus in verse 13 that we are to bear the same reproach that he endured. The same reproach, this same shameful death and suffering outside the camp, away from the, the beauty and hustle and bustle of that wonderful city, and what, what are we to do out there outside the camp as we bear the shame and reproach? We are to suffer as well. Jesus suffered. Jesus was gravely wounded, terribly tortured, and finally offered as a sacrifice. His blood was shed. This is the way of the cross, suffering and shame. Think of that this morning. At the center of our passage this morning is that we see Jesus enduring suffering to the point of death, shameful on top of all that. That is the what of the cross. But what about the why? What does this passage have to say about the why, the purpose of Jesus' suffering? We may say, is it meaningless? Is it just the, the wrath of God poured out on the Son? What's the purpose? Does it accomplish anything? Well, look at verse 12. You've already spotted it. It says, so Jesus also suffered through his own blood. It's such an incredible reality here. The people, the people here 
we see they had a, an, an incredible need. They had a great need. And there's not one person under the sound of my voice or not one person that walks the face of this earth, and there are many of us, there's not one of us that is not in need of what Jesus is accomplishing here in verse 12. Not one of us. You say, well, I don't know much about this. Well, this is a very, very relevant passage of Scripture for you, regardless of who you are, regardless of your age or what religion you grew up in. This is about you, that Jesus suffered. Why? In order that you might have sanctification. Sanctification. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, it means really two things. One, to be cleansed, and another, to be set apart. And when we put those two things together, we understand that Jesus' work for us, sanctifies us by cleansing us and setting us apart. You see, what is the purpose of man? Well, the purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And yet every single person, God, bringing upon themselves the filth of that which God hates. And so how are we to be reunited with God? How are we to glorify God and how are we to enjoy him forever if we have his wrath against us? And if we are utterly separated from him, how are we to do that? Well, this very work that Jesus is accomplishing. Why? Why has Jesus died? In order to cleanse his people and to bring us into right relationship with the Father. And here, the work that Jesus does, it's unlike the lambs before him. The sacrifices before Jesus that were a part of the old covenant, that blood of that lamb was brought into the holy place there on earth, which the scriptures tell us is just a shadow of the actual place that Jesus' blood is offered there in the presence of God the Father. And what's so beautiful about this comparison between the regular sacrifices that went on on a daily basis before the work of Christ and then the work of Christ itself, what's so different is that the, on the day of Yom Kippur, the, the carcass, that, that body that would be taken outside and burned, it would be, also be unclean. And here's what's beautiful. Jesus, the ultimate spotless lamb goes out and he himself is not defiled, quite the opposite. He overcomes sin itself and in that unholy place, he makes a way for us to be sanctified and cleansed and come into the very presence of God. And Here's what I see as I think about the way of the cross and the why of the cross. I see the Calvary refrain. The Calvary refrain. If this letter, the letter to the book of Hebrew, or the letter to the Hebrews, if it were a musical, which I happen to love musicals, didn't know that about myself, but I do. If I were to love, or if I were to, to, to somehow turn Hebrews into a musical, the Calvary refrain would be the few lines that are introduced early in the play and they're revisited throughout the work on a regular basis as if they're the driving momentum and direction of this work. And so what is the Calvary refrain? 
I'm so glad that you asked. And as a matter of fact, we have worked through uh, Hebrews for a long time. I, Pastor Brett probably knows how many sermons we have had to endure in this long book, and, and, and it's been a while. But if you're here for the first time today, this letter, then, man, you, you came on the perfect day. Because this, this refrain is really the summary, it's the crux, it's the call for everybody, and it's from the beginning to the end of this book. What is it? Well, there on the screen for you, here's the, the main idea, the Calvary refrain. It goes like this, life is for serving. Serving involves suffering. Suffering is temporary. Joy is eternal. Life is for serving. Serving involves suffering. Suffering is temporary. And joy is eternal. I believe that this is at the very center of the book. It's the point of the whole book. And it's the point of your life. Every single one of us today, we look at the life of Jesus and we see that his life was for serving. And as he served, it no doubt brought him on the path of suffering. Now, the point of Jesus' life was not to suffer. The point of his life was to serve. But you cannot serve unless you suffer. But what we also see is that the suffering that Jesus endured and also the suffering that we endure, it's temporary. But this joy that Jesus had before him, that he saw beyond the suffering It was eternal, and even now, and that's true for us. Even though we suffer in this moment as we serve, we also know that we have a joy that for so many of us has already begun to mark and shape our lives, even as we suffer. And the promise is that one day that temporary suffering will be removed, but that joy will never be removed. That's the point of Hebrews. And you say, well, you're making some bold statements, Pastor Josh. You just told us that we could basically have skipped everything good to go. Just come today, hear those four lines of that short refrain, and we're good to go. Maybe you're saying prove it. Well, I'm glad you want evidence. I've got got plenty of it. We're people of the book. The word matters here. Let's see. Where do we see this in the text? I want to give you five instances, okay? Five places where we see somebody singing this song. And, and by the way, some of you might be thinking, hey, I don't see any, any song language. That's true. That's the only piece that I sort of embellished a bit. But maybe they are still singing it. The first is Jesus. I think it's fitting that we start with Jesus. This book is about Jesus. Did Jesus sing this song? Well, I can picture this song on Jesus' lips. I can hear him humming it as uh, he prays there in the garden. As he walks in the garden, I can imagine Jesus whispering to himself, life is for serving. Serving involves suffering. Suffering is temporary. Joy is eternal. But where did There it's on. Well, Hebrews chapter 12. Look back one chapter. There, it's on page 1,196 if you're using the black hardback Bible. It says there in verse 2, looking to Jesus. In other words, this is important, you'll catch this again. Remember Jesus, remember his life, consider the outcome of his life, looking to Jesus. That's what that means. 
And then when we look to Jesus, what do we do? Well, we realize that he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. Watch this. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. There was joy in front of him, far in front of him, eternal joy. But in between that joy and the present situation that he was in, there in the garden, there was the cross. And there was shame. But it says in verse 2 that who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame, the reproach. He endured suffering. And now how has it ended for him there in verse 2? Well, he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy was before him. But a little bit more immediate was that cross. And he endured that cross. He endured that suffering. He despised the shame as opposed to longing for that joy. And even now it says he's seated. And that seated really is the eternal component. It's the eternal component. It's in the perfect active, which means it's already accomplished with lasting results into the future. He's seated. He's already sat down. He's not going to sit down again. He's sat down. It's completed in that sense. He's finished his work there in the presence of God. The blood has been applied. And the work is completed. It is finished. Saying this, and there we see in verse 2 of chapter 12, that Jesus sang this song. This was his mantra. This was what he believed. This is what drove him to do what he did for us. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever known someone who sang this song? You say, well, I've never heard that song, and you haven't even sang it. I'm not going to sing it. I didn't put any music to it. But have you ever known somebody that sang this song? This was the, the beat that they sort of lived by. This was their mantra. Maybe not these specific words, but certainly this theme. We all can think of people in our lives that we know knew this line, these lines, these lyrics. But not only did Jesus, he was our first example that we see in here. Not only did Jesus sing that song, but I would say that Moses also sang this song. Moses also sang this song. And for Jesus, it's interesting, I list Moses second, even though Moses lived long before Jesus, I list Moses second because it says in chapter 11, turn there, chapter 11, still there on page 1196 if you're using this, this copy, it says in chapter 11, verses 24 to 28, that, in, well, particularly in verse 26, that Moses considered the reproach of Christ's, of Christ's greater wealth. That Moses considered the reproach of Christ's greater wealth. So that, that means that, here it's telling us that Moses understood this song. Moses understood the prophecy about Jesus. And Moses said, I'm going to stand with Christ. I'm going to stand with the deliverer who is going to have his heel bruised, but he's going to crush the head of the snake. I'm going to stand with him. And I'm going to get a bruised heel, but I'm going to deliver God's people. Look in verse 24 of chapter 11. It says, By faith, Pharaoh's daughter, when he was grown up, 
He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Here in the immediate, he said, I will not choose the path that everybody would take. I'm not going to take the well-worn path, the easy path. I'm not going to take the comfortable path. I'm going to choose rather than living in the king's house to be mistreated with the people of God. Now, was Moses just looking for a bruising? Was he a glutton for punishment? No, no. What was he doing? He was identifying with God's people so that he could deliver God's people. Doesn't that look like Jesus? Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Doesn't it sound like that little song that we imagined Jesus humming in the garden? Life is for serving. Serving brings suffering, Moses says. Suffering is temporary. Joy is eternal. And look what it says here. In of Egypt, it says, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He would rather suffer with Christ, walking the same path outside the gate, than to be comfortable. But what does it say there? He was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Moses said, life is for serving. Serving is for suffering. Suffering is temporary. The eternal city is coming. Eternal joy is before me, and I'll not let up. It's the Calvary refrain. It's interesting here, though. It says, in a sense, <clears throat> that Moses considered Jesus. He looked to Jesus. That's exactly what we were seeing that each of us have been commanded to do in chapter 13, verse 7. That we're to consider our leaders, we are to remember our leaders, and we are to imitate our leaders. And Moses is saying, my, my leader is Jesus. And he remembered his life. He remembered the testimony. He considered the outcome of his testimony, the, the bruised heel and the crushed head. And he says, I'll, I'll, I'll walk in the same footsteps. And again, we see here this song being sung, not by Jesus only and Moses, but also by the Hebrew leaders. If you're taking notes, this is the third one. The third example of somebody singing this song. Well, where is this at? Well, this is the longest, uh, the, the longest reach here, the biggest stretch. But I think uh, you'll see what I've seen. In Hebrews 13, verses 7 to 8, it's saying, Remember your leaders. Those who, remember last week we saw those in the, their way of life spoke the word of God to you. Now, you should remember your current leaders, and you should consider the outcome of their way of life. And you should imitate your current leader's faith. But here it's saying specifically to the Hebrew Christians, hey, you had some teachers in the past, and now they're gone. Their lives have ended, and I want you to do something. Don't forget them. Remember them. And don't just remember them, but consider the outcome of their life. How did the whole thing end? And as you consider the end of their life, imitate their faith. Keep that in mind and then recognize that the context or the setting of this book is that incredible suffering was coming to this church. Incredible suffering. And people were 
tempted to jump from this ship like rats in a sinking ship. And the the preacher here, the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is, is calling them, don't do that. And he's saying, don't, don't do that. No, instead, don't run. Don't consider the aid of the suffering that God's people are enduring temporarily here. Consider the outcome of your leaders. Remember, they were faithful to the end. Some of them, we imagine, lost their lives. Church history tells us. And we're to think of their lives. What was the outcome of their lives? If you think about the apostles, the men that God used to lead the early church, and even to give us this book, the very word of God, how did they end? How did their lives end? Were they dying in comfort? Were they, were they dying? Were they just writing books and gathering royalties and amassing for themselves great comforts and treasures? No. We've already seen so many of our they had no church leaders had nothing. They had no livelihood. They had little honor apart from the work of Christ on their behalf. It even says that they went about wandering, living in caves and wandering about in sheepskins. Destitute, poor. These are the Hebrew leaders, and we think of them and we say, well, how did their life end? Were they mad at God because they poured their lives out here and had nothing to show for it aside from a fledgling church? No. They were joyful when they died. I love Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a terrible thing to read, but it's such a nourishment for my soul to see people at the very end of their lives facing the sword, facing the stake, facing the tease of lions who were hungry. And at the end of their lives, they sang for joy. I imagine that that's what we're to be imitating here. That is the life that we see here. And throughout church history, we see those who were faithful to God to the very end as they serve God's people being burned at the stake sang this refrain. I could hide somewhere. I could run away. But no life is for serving. And so I'll translate this book to the people of God so that they can read it in their own language. Oh, you want to pull a stunt like that? You'll be burned at the stake. You try to pull something like that, you'll be pulled apart, literally, limb by limb. And our forebears, our leaders in church history said, life is for serving. And the path of serving, it incurs suffering. And yes, they may kill my body, but they'll not kill my soul. They cannot take me from God. And it was the outcome of, in fact, eternal. What was the outcome of their, of their lives? Faithfulness to the end. Their eyes set on the prize that's before them. And so at the center of this passage is Jesus, and he's singing the Calvary refrain as he walks outside of Jerusalem, carrying his own cross. 
And then we have Moses, even more recently, right? Leaders of this Hebrew church after that. And then in this list, Jesus speaking the word of God, fulfilling the Calvary refrain, Moses following suit, the leaders of the Hebrew church following suit. But it doesn't end there. The command in chapter 13, verse 7, is to that Christian church there, likely in Jerusalem, that they are to remember the leaders, they are to consider the outcome of their life, and they're to imitate it. And it's also true that not only where do you see that, supposed to do that, but many of them had already been doing that. Where do you see that? Well, we see the Hebrew congregants. That's the fourth one. That's the fourth one. Look at chapter 10. Chapter 10, flip back one page, verses 32 to 34. Pay attention here. This is, this is really, really beautiful. You've got Jesus singing this song, Moses singing this song, the Hebrew leaders and this church singing this song, and now you also see that there's evidence of the congregants also having sung this same song. It says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, after you received the truth of Jesus, after you learned about the sanctification that was afforded to you on the cross, it says, you endured, you hung in there through a hard struggle with sufferings. Well, where did these sufferings come from? He exposed, suffered, verse 33. Sometimes, even to the point of being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Wow. To what extent? Publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sounds a little bit like the Calvary Road. Sounds a little bit like the Calvary Refrain. And look at that last part of verse 33. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. Why were they doing these things? Why were they partners with those so treated? Well, look at verse 34. Why? Because you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And so why did these early members of this Hebrew church, why did they suffer? Because they wanted to fight with them by with those who had already been suffering. And they identified with them by visiting them in prison. And if you're hunting down Christians, as was happening in this particular situation, if you're hunting down Christians, well, how do you know where the other Christians are? Well, the Christians that are in prison are going to be visited by the Christians that are not in prison. And they're going to say, hey, you're suffering, and you don't have any clothes, and you're filthy, and you're starving, and you have nothing in this life. And here I am hiding, and I have all of those things, and I'm afraid I'm going to lose them, but life is for serving. And serving brings suffering. And so I'm going to go to the prison, and I'm going to suffer too, and I might get caught. My kids might be suffering and suffer reproach as well. They may be afflicted as well, but we're going to be partners with those so treated. But why would we do any of that? 
Why did they do that? Well, look at the end of verse 34. Since, here's their, here's their foundation. Here's what they're aiming for. Here's why it was okay for them to lose everything. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. The writer here, the preacher, he says, you did those things because you knew that any of the suffering that they were facing and that you would begin to face because you identified with them, it would all be worth it because that would be temporary and joy that was before you would be a lasting and an abiding one that would never, ever be taken from you. And so what did these congregants do well they looked to Jesus and they saw the work that he did on the cross as he walked out of the garden in a sense carrying his cross to Calvary and he sung these words and Moses sang them and their leaders considering sang them and now these congregants were saying hey we're we're remembering we're considering and now we're imitating they sang that song and so here's where the rubber meets the road and you're smart. You see it coming, right? We've looked through the list of all the people who had done it, and now we end on five. The fifth example, the fifth model that we look at is not somebody else. It's you. And it's not a statement about what you have done, as with Jesus or Moses or the Hebrew leaders or even the Hebrew congregants of this church, but it's more of a question about you. Will you sing this song? Will this song mark your life? Will it drive your life? Look at verse 7. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, consider their outcome the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their These are commands. Christian, you have been commanded to consider the life of Jesus, our great captain, our leader, and the life of Moses, and the life of all the other Christians that have gone before us. You're to consider them. You're to imitate them. And so the question I have for you this morning is, are you doing that? And maybe you're not doing that, but are you willing to do that? Are you going to become obedient to this command? Are you going to imitate their faith? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13 and 14, look at that. We looked at the life of Jesus. We see what he says about, hey, you're supposed to treat your leaders in this way. But then in verse, let says, therefore, because of what Jesus has done, let us, let's all together go to him outside the camp. Not just go to him, though, not just stand with him, not just receive the sanctification that he's offering, the cleansing and the right relationship with God being set apart for that. But in addition to that, it says, and let us bear the reproach that he endured. You are to bear the reproach that Jesus endured. I got an idea for 
fundraiser, why don't we make some Christian swag, right? Some cup, cups, mugs, and some shirts, and some bookmarks about, hey, let's go outside the camp and bear the reproach that Jesus endured. Not really going to sell very much, is it? And yet that, my dear brothers and sisters, is what we have been called to do. And how? Why? Because we know this, verse 14, here we have no lasting city. It's not lasting. It will all go away, but we seek the city that is to come. Many of you may know the name Jim Elliott. And while likely none of us sat under his teaching, we've probably read some of his journals or at least heard his story. And his story is, in fact, a great, great teacher for us. This brother, along with four other brothers and their wives, they left everything that they had here in the States. They flew to a place that was filled with people who had never heard the name of Jesus before. They were unreached, and nobody was even engaging them with Jesus. And they said, we will lose, we will leave behind, it cost us our life. Dang. And we'll go live in a place that could cost us our lives. And probably the most famous thing that has ever been connected with any of these brothers or their story and how it ended, and it's not ended yet. It's a beautiful story that continues to unfold. But if you've heard anything about Jim Elliott, you've probably heard this statement. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Think of that. Jim Elliott says there, you're not a fool if you give up what you cannot keep in order to gain what you cannot lose. He sealed that statement, that tagline, which sounds a lot like the Calvary refrain. He sealed that statement with his own blood. There came a point in the mission work that they were doing when as they reached out to these people who were far from Jesus, all of the men, they began to be scared and they attacked. And all of the men that were there together were speared there on the banks of a river. Nobody heard their cries for help. And it was a while until their bodies were even found. And yet, Jim said it. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That sounds a lot like this Calvary refrain. Life is for serving. My life, Jim said, was, is for serving, and I'm going to go serve this group of people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And every single one of them that dies enters into eternity unsanctified, apart from the work of Jesus. And so Jim said, my life is for serving, and no doubt serving will involve suffering. And maybe on his mind he thought, the work that I've done will sometimes be destroyed. Sometimes the work that I've misunderstood, maybe even maligned, all of these things were true of him. But I think he even knew that if his Lord and Savior would end his own life as a sacrifice, humbly there on the cross, Jim said, I'll go, I'll go outside the camp 
and I'll bear the reproach. I'll stand with him and I'll bear the same reproach that he did. And it might cost me my life too, but life is for serving and I'm okay because serving sometimes involves suffering. Jim knew that suffering would be temporary and he also knew that joy was eternal. He knew that he would gain something in following Christ that nobody or no circumstance could take away from him. And so as we kind of turn to application and sort of land the plane, I want you to just let this weight rest on your shoulders now. I want you to interact with your own life, beginning by just thinking the answer to this question. Where some of God has called you to serve. Some of us might be tempted, even before we came into this room this morning, to think that serving is optional. I may or may not serve. It just depends on if God called me to do that. Well, the reality is that he has called you to serve. If you bear the name of Christ, if you stand with him now, you are not just to stand with him out there outside of the city gates, but you are to bear the reproach and suffer with him just as he did. And so where are you serving? Maybe if we zoomed out even more, what, what's the purpose of your life? You say, well, you, I, don't, I don't think about that all the time. Most of us don't. And that's precisely why we have this text this morning. So we can begin to ask the question, is this the song that I'm singing? Or is it some other song? Maybe it's a song that I did it my way. Or some other song about happiness that's temporary and fleeting. Maybe it's one of the things that ends of songs that we sing on a regular basis that are about these temporary pursuits of things that will certainly pass away. I hope this morning that you're willing to consider the song that you sing, the mantra that you live by, and ask, Am I serving? Where has God called me to serve? Again, it's not a matter of if you have been called to serve, it is a matter of where. Now, we could probably spend the next 10 Sunday mornings asking and answering questions around how do we find out where God has called me to serve? And what I would offer to you right now is just, let's just start here. Are you even willing to ask God? I, I know there's been times in my life where I could sense that God was calling me to do something. I could sense that I was needing to take another step or move forward into something, but I didn't know what it was, and the reality was I didn't even want to know. And so praying about it, asking him about it, I don't know what's off the table. I'm going to just ask you, Maybe you say, I don't know what the purpose of my life is. I understand that it's serving, but I don't know where. Let me ask you, are you willing to commit to simply asking God, to praying about it? Are you willing to do that? And if you are, I would add something to that. Are you willing to talk with people about it? Are you willing to share that with folks in your family? Maybe this afternoon as you sit around the dining room table, with maybe some friends here from this church or maybe your own neighbors, maybe I would encourage you to just ask them, hey, would you commit to praying with me? I don't feel like I'm serving. I don't feel like my life is for serving and I want it to be. Would you, would you pray that God would give me light on my path? Or maybe another uh, action step here would be talking with somebody who knows you well. 
talking with a pastor. Just this week, I had a conversation with a young man who said, I feel as if God is calling me to serve him the rest of my life by preaching his word. And you know what we did? We, God's going to continue to talk about it, to pray about it. And man, I, I believe that God's going to continue to give light on the path in this young man's life. And I think he would for you as well. Here's another application question. Do you have areas of your life that include both serving and suffering? Now, I don't mean to say that you come home from this action of serving and you have blood uh, pierced, uh, pierced places in your palms of your hands and even in your feet and in your side because you served. Maybe uh, That's not what I'm suggesting. But all levels of service cost us something, and in that way, we're suffering. If you are not losing time, talent, and treasure in your life, likely you're not serving. It costs us something. It costs us something to care for people, to walk with people as we shoulder their burden, a burden that's not ours natively. And yet we stand as a pastor. Are you willing to do that? As a pastor, one of my jobs is to care for you, and we're gonna get into this next week. I can care for you, and the other pastors can care for you by keeping a watch over you. And as a man who God has called to keep a watch over this flock, here's what I wanna warn each of us about. And whether this is your first day or whether you've been here from the beginning, I want you to know something that the enemy to the Calvary refrain is comfort. The enemy to the Calvary refrain is comfort. For so many of us, the, the God, the joy, the goal of our lives is comfort. And when you hear me say things like serving will bring suffering, that attacks, that threatens your goal for many of us. Serving will bring suffering, it will bring shame, it will be painful, it will cost you, but it's eternal. Friends, it's only temporary, and the joy that we find in that city, which is to come, it's eternal. Hear me. Even though serving comes with suffering, our goal is not suffering. Our goal is not suffering. We don't look for areas in our lives where we could suffer a little bit more. We don't crawl across broken glass for some meaningless purpose. We don't search for suffering as if it's our goal. But when we encounter suffering on the path to serving, we don't turn around. The Christian's compass is not comfort. Hear that. The, your, your compass is not comfort. Comfort is not your guide. It's not your goal. Jesus is our guide, and joy is our goal, a joy that can't be taken from us. And so another question I could ask you this morning, as you think of your own life, maybe it's what keeps you from serving? What keeps you from serving? Maybe it's not comfort. Maybe it's something else. But there are things that threaten your service. There are things in your life that threaten your surrender to God. Another question I could ask you this morning is, what do you do? This would be a great conversation to have around the dining room table today. What do you do when you begin to face suffering? 
In your life, what do you do when you begin to face suffering? And by the way, anytime that you walk with other brothers and sisters in this church, you're going to suffer. Some of you are thinking, some of you thinking here this morning, I just became a member of this church, or I'm, 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 I was considering becoming a member of this church, and you're like, I don't know if I want to be a part of this suffering, weird thing that's going on here. Listen, any time that you condescend, that you step alongside in an incarnational way with somebody else, and you walk with them, you will bear their burdens. You'll be afflicted and affected by their burden. What do you do when you begin to fail that? More specifically, what do you do when you begin to be misunderstood? When your motives are called into question? When somebody doesn't really understand what you were trying to do? And that hurts. And in that way, you begin to suffer. Jesus knows all about that. There, as he carried his cross out of the city to Calvary, people thought, this man has been afflicted by God. This man is getting everything that's coming to him. He must have done something terrible. Think of that, the, the one who had never sinned. Never sinned is the one who was completely misunderstood and thought by everybody that he deserved death in this shameful way. What do you do when you're misunderstood? Do you cease to carry the cross? What do you do when you're maligned? What do you do when you give everything away and you didn't even get a thank you? What do you do in that moment? Where does it become even more? What do, you, what do you do when your difficult task of serving becomes even more difficult? And what was supposed to take a short time is now going to take a long time. What do you do? Friends, this world is passing away. Suffering is temporary. Joy is eternal. I don't want you to miss the crescendo of this incredible book. This is it. This is it right here. This is it. The Calvary refrain. And as you think about the call on your life to step outside of the gate and to stand with Jesus and to suffer as well and to submit to serving and receive this temporary suffering and to look towards joy. I don't want you to forget why Jesus did that in the beginning. Don't forget, why did he do that? No, he, so that you would suffer and maybe eventually experience a little bit of joy along the way. No, he did it. He went through all that suffering so that he could secure for you sanctification, so that you could be made right with God. And here's what I love. There Jesus carries his cross out of the garden, as it were, out of the city, carrying it up to the hill there. And I'm arguing that this whole time he's singing He's muttering to himself, holding on to, sweating and bleeding, falling and stumbling, and he's saying, life is for serving. Serving is for suffering. Suffering is temporary. Joy is eternal. And what was his joy? What was the joy that was set before him that he endured? All of these things to get. What happened there on the cross? Do you remember? The pictures, so many of the Christian pictures that we have in Christendom, Christendom, they are a bit inaccurate, but this one is pretty accurate. 
You've got there on Golgotha, there on Calvary, you've got one cross in the middle and two crosses on either side. And there, if you know the story, you know that one of those criminals on Jesus' side, well, actually, both of them begin their time with Jesus reviling him, hating him. (laughs) And what is Jesus doing? He's misunderstood. He's maligned, and he's even spit at and reviled by these two men that are dying with him. But what does Jesus say when the one says, something's just changed in me, and I'm not going to revile this man? And he yells past Jesus to the other man, and he says, "What what are you doing? This man has done nothing wrong. We are getting exactly what we deserve, and this one has done nothing wrong. What does Jesus say to that one man? standing opposed. In that moment, he's become a Christian. In that moment, he's not standing opposed to Jesus, but he's hanging on a cross next to Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? Dear brother, the pain that you are experiencing in this moment, it's so real and it's so vivid, but it's temporary. And he says to him, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. What a beautiful ending to that life. And a man who deserved death, a man who deserved to be separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell was redeemed from that path. He stood with Jesus, and now for all of eternity, he will be with him in paradise. That offer offer is to you this morning as well, to stand with Jesus Yes, to endure the suffering and to endure the shame, but also to receive this promise of joy and joy for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we love the fact that Jesus, he sang this song on our behalf. That he was faithful to this even to the end. We thank you for that truth. We thank you for that reality. Father, we pray that today that you would help your church to begin to sing that song anew and afresh, that our life is for serving, that serving brings suffering, but that suffering is temporary and joy is eternal. We thank you for that. Strengthen us this day. We ask it in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen.